The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hello, everybody. Hello out there. Welcome back to the show. How's it going? I'm Eli. I'm Diana. So good to see you all again. Always. See you in our mind's eye. Yeah, in our mind's eye. Y'all are all really hot, by the yeah. way. Yeah. And uh, our mind's eye is always accurate. So, so congrats. Congrats. Yeah, well done. Well done to everyone. <laughs> You're hella attractive. Yes. Well, yeah, how's everybody doing? Hope it's been going well. Well into January now. Oh, 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 okay. Well, look, we won't talk about it too much because I know I think only 15 of you care, but <laughs> the Expanse finale was so oh, good. Ah! It's so good. I'll tell you what, still, we've been singing its praises on this show since the beginning, mm-hmm. but if you haven't watched The Expanse, from beginning to end, it is a very good show. It really is. And there's so few shows that can say that, yeah. right? That are like, hold, I mean, Expanse starts okay and good in say, season one. Yeah, I was just going to say, season one, it took us a minute to get through it. Yeah. It kind of just drops you in. You know, you yes. have to really pay attention and catch up to like the politics of what's happening and how right. the world works and everything. But it's worth some it. is better than its parts of season one. Yeah, um, I agree. Once you get to the end, it's like, oh, okay, I get it now. Yes, this all makes sense. This is great. Oh, yeah. And then it's just a great show. Yes. And every no season dips. is good. Yeah. 
Yeah. It really, and uh, the characters and the acting. Uh, it's just, <laughs> we could go on. If you want we will us, go on. <laughs> if you want us to do an Expanse rewatch podcast on the side, we want to. So if you email us and tell us that you want to hear that, it will encourage us to get off our asses and do it. Because we're going to rewatch the whole show soon. Oh, yeah. We might as well talk about it. And if you feel like listening, that's on you. Then that's on you. <laughs> it's your time. <laughs> but um, but again, we could go on. We won't. We won't. We'll leave you be. Um, <laughs> we'll get to this show. Which is about uh, not about space, not, not about a space, space opera, not a space <laughs> opera. <laughs> well, there's not a whole lot left to banner about, but there is a reason we picked this story today because this is not any old episode. Uh-uh. If you've been keeping count at home and you don't include our trailer or our mini-sode about Wordle, do you know what number episode this is? Sixty-nine, dudes! <laughs> Be excellent to each other. And party on, dudes! <laughs> We're not doing the Bill and Ted episode. No. no. Just, we just told the 69 joke. No. The reason we picked this episode for our 69th is because we just wanted something extra raunchy and dirty. Yeah. And boy, we found it with James <laughs> Joyce and Nora Barnacle. They were this lovely, wonderful couple from 1800s Ireland. Of course, James Joyce, you know, is the famous author of Finnegan's Wake, uh, Dubliners, and of course, Ulysses. Mm-hmm. And Nora Barnacle was this amazing woman who met and fell in love with him, and together, they shared some of the filthiest, raunchiest love notes in history. <laughs> and we are all excited to get to those, so I say we just dive right in. Let's do this. Hey there, friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, We'll put it in a show, Ridiculous Romance. A production of iHeartRadio. James Augustine Aloysius Joyce was born on February 2nd of 1882 in Dublin, Ireland. Now, he was the oldest of ten children. That's how the Irish Catholics do it. (laughs) Um, One a year, every year. (laughs) Yeah, right. He was sent to a boarding school when he was six years old, but his father was this kind of irresponsible guy who drank a lot. He borrowed a lot of money from his office that he wasn't able to pay back. Eventually, he lost his job and the family fell into poverty, according to Britannica.com's biography of James Joyce. So James had to come home from school for a few years. And while he was home, he taught himself as best as he could. And he would go to his mother and say, check my work, please, mommy. Did I do it right? Um... She's like, I don't know. She's like, I don't know. It's 1882 and I've got 10 kids. What, am I a teacher? (laughs) But he must have done okay because at nine years old, he wrote his first poem. And it was called Et Tu Healy. And to understand why this nine-year-old wrote this political poem with a lot of weight behind it, we'll just take a quick fling with history. Oh, you're in trouble now. Charles Stuart Parnell was an Irish nationalist who led the political fight for Irish home rule. And this was a movement that sought for Ireland to be able to govern itself within the United Kingdom. They wanted to form a domestic parliament and set their own rules rather than having Westminster decide everything for them. 
And Parnell was a brilliant organizer of this movement. He brought Irish issues to the forefront of political discussions in the UK for most of the 1880s. But scandal broke out when it was discovered that Parnell had been living with a married woman named Kitty O'Shea. Oh, no. Oh, oh my God. And her husband filed for divorce. The whole affair went public. Now, the story gets a little crazy, so stay tuned for a whole episode about these three sometime soon. Because <laughs> <laughs> it is worth looking at. But the point for now is that Parnell's political career was effectively ruined. And then this other politician named Tim Healy had been one of Parnell's strongest supporters. But when this scandal broke out about Parnell and Kitty O'Shea, he turned on Parnell as well. During a meeting, Parnell stood up and said, Who is the master of this party? <laughs> and Healy called back, Aye, but who is the mistress? Oh, oh shit. <laughs> and this almost brought the room into a good old-fashioned Irish fistfight. Damn. <laughs> yeah, seriously, that's all the articles were like, they nearly came to blows over this. <laughs> Imagine everybody just, well, settle this the Irish way. <laughs> Some bare-knuckle boxing. But, of course, a lot of people who supported Parnell and his big movement for Irish home rule were mad that this scandal was going to trash all the work that he'd done. Sure. Including little nine-year-old James Joyce, who wrote this poem, again, called Et Tu Healy, where he compared Parnell to Caesar and Healy to Brutus. Now, the thing is, no complete copies of this poem exist anywhere that anyone knows about. And there's only three lines that remain that were just remembered by his brother. So let's take a quick stop in Poetry Corner for nine-year-old James Joyce's Et Tu Healy. His quaint perched airy on the crags of time where the rude din of this century can trouble him no more. All right. Okay. Yeah. Very uh, uh, political. It sounds like this nine-year-old <laughs> knew what he was talking about. That's what I got from those three lines. I mean, a quaint perched airy. I wouldn't have written that at nine years <laughs> no, old. Right? <laughs> Pretty good. I wasn't talking about the crags of time <laughs> no, until I was at least 16. <laughs> the crags of time. <laughs> <laughs> this nine-year-old kid, long drag on a cigarette. <laughs> Already. <laughs> uh, thinking about the crags of time. <laughs> I'm from Dublin. <laughs> yeah. I think about the crags of time since I was at the womb. <laughs> Eventually, at 11 years old, James Joyce went back to a Jesuit school in Dublin, where he did very well academically, but he did start to lose his Catholic faith. The Catholic teachers were incredibly strict and cruel. Throughout his life, Joyce had a terrible fear of thunder and lightning, which he attributed to his governess telling him that the loud crashes were God manifesting his anger at the boy. Which is so weird to me to be like, I'm going to make the whole world and everything God does about me specifically. Right, Like, yeah. is that not very self-centered yeah. <laughs> and weird? Can you imagine, and, you know, elsewhere in the storm, somebody's like, wow, God must be real mad at James Joyce today. I know. <laughs> <laughs> For real, like, oh, God's very focused on this one kid. Yeah. Mental Floss says that when he was asked by a friend, why are you so afraid of rough weather? Joyce responded, quote, 
You were not brought up in Catholic Ireland. Oh. And eventually, Joyce went to University College in Dublin, where he graduated in 1902. He was obsessed with becoming a great writer and studied and practiced constantly publishing essays, articles, even theater reviews by the time he was 18. And to support himself as a writer, he decided at one point that he would become a medical doctor. Oh, oh the perfect moonlighting gig for aspiring creatives. <laughs> a I side really, hustle. Yes. As a doctor. I want to be an actor, but I need some. Something to pay the bills while I try and make my fame. I know I'll be a heart surgeon. <laughs> just a nice, easy after-dinner hobby. Yeah, just in the evenings and weekends. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, he attended a few medical lectures and quickly abandoned that idea. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, "Oh, this is a lot of work." Wait, I have out. to what? <laughs> oh, you have to know what's inside the human body. I don't oh, have thanks. time for that. <laughs> so, yeah, he gave up on that, and he moved to Paris instead. Smart move. Yeah. <laughs> in 1903, he was brought back home to Ireland because his mother was dying, mm. and he worked as a teacher for a while before getting paid to write short stories for a magazine called The Irish Homestead, and they would later be published as a compilation called Dubliners. The next year, still home in Dublin, he met Nora Barnacle. Nora was born in 1884, so she's two years younger than James, and she was the second of eight children born to a baker and a dressmaker. She studied at a convent when she was young, finishing her schooling in 1896 at 12 years old. And it was then she met a young boy named Michael Feeney, and she fell in love with him. But shortly after they met, he died from typhoid fever. Hmm. In 1903, her mother kicked Nora's father out for drinking, she said that she had married beneath herself for marrying a baker to begin with. Oh. Um, and she and Nora went to live with her uncle Tom Healy in Galway. There, she dated another boy named Michael Bodkin for a while, though he later contracted tuberculosis. Damn, Nora. Yeah, in fact, they called her the man killer at school apparently for a while because her two boyfriends had died. You know, kids, they tease. That's so mean. Like <laughs> yeah. she gave them typhoid fever and tuberculosis. Know, right? Like she didn't already have to deal with the fact that two of her childhood boyfriends died. Now she has to get blamed for it. Now you're like a black widow killer. <laughs> oh my God. But Nathan Halper wrote in an article called The Grave of Michael Bodkin for the James Joyce Quarterly in 1975 that when Michael learned that he had tuberculosis and Nora was going to Dublin, he, quote, stole out of his sick room in spite of the rainy weather to sing to her under an apple tree and bid her goodbye. Aww. That's so nice. Isn't it like, if you're going to go sing to someone in the rain, find a fruit tree to stand under because it just adds that much more poetry to the story. So true. Right? If I just went out and sang to you in the rain, that's nice. Uh -huh. I went out and sang to you in the rain under an apple tree. Huh. It's like, I didn't do anything different. The apple tree's doing a lot of work there. <laughs> a lot of heavy lifting really, by the apple tree. Yeah, but it adds a lot, doesn't it? It does. It paints a real romantic picture yeah. in my mind. Yeah. I see this. Well, I guess I don't know why the moon's in it if it's raining. <laughs> my picture makes no meteorological sense. <laughs> Uh, but James Joyce, in his final short story in Dubliners, which was called The Dead, allegedly based his main character, Michael Fury, on these two boys from Nora's stories. Michael Feeney and Michael Bodkin were apparently combined to create this character. Oh, that's so, kind of yeah, cool. Like a little yeah. tribute to right. her past loves. That's yeah, nice. definitely. 
Nora was tall and striking, and her voice was low and resonant. And by the time she was a teenager, she was known for having a sharp wit and strong opinions. Her biographer, Brenda Maddox, wrote that once while she was at the convent, a young priest invited her over for tea one day. And while she was there, he pulled her onto his lap and started trying to feel around up her dress. Some of these priests like to be doing. And Nora, quote, broke away only to be told that it was she who had committed a sin. Stop me if you've heard this before. Right. So later, she spoke about it in confession. By the way, to the same priest who was molesting her. Let me go confess to you what you did and blamed me for. Yes. And the priest told her, quote, she was not to say the culprit was a priest, but rather a man. This feels incriminating to me for some reason. Yeah. I feel like I need you to really distance my behavior from myself. You know, this, this story's just not believable if you say it was a priest. <laughs> so why didn't you say it was one of those construction workers outside? <laughs> you know, like... What? So needless to say, as Nora grew up, she didn't like rules. Yeah. And I have to say, if that happened to me too, I'd be like, you know what? You can take this whole religion, <laughs> shove it up your butt. I'm leaving. <laughs> She and a friend would sometimes dress up in men's clothing and go exploring the city at night in an era when young women weren't typically allowed out after dark without an escort. That's which I cool. love this picture of these two ladies like giggling and like drawing a mustache uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> like to getting ready. She's like, where did you get this cravat? <laughs> <laughs> Now, her mother was very strict and she tried to curb all her daughter's behavior through discipline. But She's got eight kids, right? She had a hard time controlling them all. Nora's older sister, Kathleen, had gotten, quote, a local reputation for a rough tongue and hard drinking, according to Maddox. Ooh, Kathleen Mm -hmm. knows how to party. So her mother relied on Nora's uncle for help disciplining Nora. Uncle Tommy would wander the streets at night looking for her. He brought a large stick with him and he swung it around (laughs) while whistling the Irish air, My Mountain Maid Arise. And Maddox writes, quote, Nora froze in dread when she heard it floating through the night. Reminds me of the the Merry Widow Strangler from Shadow of a Doubt by Hitchcock. And he always was whistling the same song, Mm. uh, the Merry Widow Waltz, I think it was. And uh, whenever he was around and going to kill someone, so whenever you heard that song, you were like, oh, no. That's a great movie. It's my favorite Hitchcock, by the way. It's lesser known, but it's so good. Hitchcock himself said it was his favorite of his films. Anyway, uh, but Nora's height and her, like, heavy eyebrows helped her pass for a young man in the dark in the streets at night. Yeah. And one time, the story goes, that she walked right past Uncle Tommy and said, Oh, good evening, sir, (laughs) and totally fooled him. He's like, yes, uh, hello, young man. (laughs) Just... Have you seen my niece around here anywhere? Trou- troublesome girl. Uh, no. I haven't seen any ladies around. <laughs> A lady after dark? Lady after dark? What Outrageous. is this? England? <laughs> it's kind of giving me Ellen... Ellen and William Craft vibes. Do you oh, remember yeah, that yeah, story? Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Because she got on the train dressed as a white man and like her uh-huh. slaver was like walking by the train and looked in the window and she just like turned her head. And like he never, he had no idea it was her. Yep. People like to see what they think they're going to see. Yeah, you know? that's true. But then Nora started dating another boy named Willie Mulva. And poor Willie, he was from the only family on their street who were Protestant. Oh, oh no. no. <laughs> <laughs> 
Nora wasn't even very attracted to him, but she needed a boyfriend if she's going to go to dances. And Nora loved dancing. <laughs> I love this prop boyfriend. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and we're led to believe she was kind of a flirt and sexually curious. In Joyce's Ulysses, the character of Molly Bloom was inspired by Nora, and she talks about being with a boy named Mulvey who wanted to have sex with her, but she was afraid of getting pregnant. So she says, quote, How did we finish it off? Oh, yes. I pulled him off into my handkerchief. (laughs) (laughs) So there's reason to believe scholars are saying that this story came straight from Nora. Oh, okay. That, that, that's exactly what happened with Mulvey. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they might have gotten a little handsy. He took me dancing. I had to give him something. <laughs> I didn't like him. <laughs> I felt guilty. I was, all right. Know. Give him a nice night. At any rate, Uncle Tommy did not approve of this Protestant boy, and he forbade Nora from ever seeing him. Now, the story that Nora told James later on is that when her uncle caught them together, He took Nora back to her room, and he beat her with his stick until she begged him to stop. But Maddox writes that, quote, It seems more likely that Nora was punished because her sultry glances and headstrong ways were an embarrassment to the family, more so than the fact that he was Protestant. So it was just like, you're too flirtatious. You're all, we, there's rumors going around that you're giving out hand jobs left and right. I'm terrified of your handkerchiefs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the laundry's been disgusting, disgusting lately. lately. <laughs> Nora, what in the world? <laughs> so that's more what she got in trouble for, okay. they think. Because mm-hmm. yeah, in fact, this boy, Willie Mulve, ended up converting to Catholicism when he did get married just a few years later. Oh. So some of his friends at the time were like, he would have converted for you. Right. She just wasn't that interested. (laughs) She was like, "Mm, that's okay. (laughs) But at any rate, uh, Uncle Tommy did beat her pretty viciously. One week after that incident, Nora slipped into a service agency to inquire about work in Dublin. She hated her life here in Galway, and she knew that things couldn't be worse anywhere else, so one night she slipped out of the house without saying goodbye to her mother or to Willie Mulva and hopped a train to Dublin where she would eventually meet James Joyce. So let's put them together right after this commercial break. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. 
The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. And welcome back to the show. So James Joyce had terrible eyesight. Oh, so bad. Like multiple surgeries bad. Yeah. There's an article in the New York Times called Joyce, Nora, and the World Known to All Men from 1988 that says Joyce had been told by a doctor not to wear glasses because they thought that that would help strengthen his eyes. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. It does not work <laughs> like that. But I actually was told that, too, by friends when I was in high school. Yeah. Like, if you wear them too much, your eyes get too reliant or something. And I was that's like, not, I don't think that's, that's how. That's not how eyes work. Not using your glasses is not like dumbbells for your right, eyes. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. They just, just, they're just strained. <laughs> yeah. So it's June 10th, 1904. 
Joyce is 22 years old, and he's strolling down Nassau Street in Dublin and not seeing very well. Yeah, he's like, he's walking up to fire hydrants. How do you do there, sir? Nice to meet you. (laughs) No response. Rude. (laughs) Oh, what an adorable baby you have, sir. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, he's doing great on his walk. (laughs) And then he saw this blurry figure walking towards him. He could tell it was a woman and that she was tall, and she swung her arms as she walked in a sort of saunter, her hips swinging back and forth beneath her skirt. It was the sexiest blur he'd ever kind of seen. (laughs) Nora was 20 years old, and with her perfect eyesight, she saw a slim young man with a thin face, a strong chin, and pale blue eyes. He was just a bit taller than her, and I should say that he was like 5'10", and she was like 5'9". So when we say they were tall, it was relative. Okay, yeah. It's okay. not like they were both six-something. Both like Yao Ming Right, around. yeah. And he had this sort of cockiness about him that she really liked. They stopped and spoke briefly, and he asked her to meet him the following Thursday, June 16th, in Marion Square. Nora was in Dublin, and she'd found a job as a chambermaid at Finn's Hotel, which was a small but respectable spot in central Dublin near Trinity College. Nora had her fair share of, quote, unwanted male attentions, according to the New York Times. And she had survived her experience in Dublin so far by being extra wary of all these old creeps that stayed at the hotel where she worked and all these strange, pushy fellows on the street that she would pass by. Constant harassment, constant pickup lines, people probably grabbing and being rude and all Definitely that. Definitely kind of groping. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure she got touched in places she didn't freaking mm-hmm. want. So when this sort of non threatening, half blind, well spoken guy with a good sense of humor introduced himself to her, it was a completely different experience than she had been having with men, and she was happy to agree to meet him. Right. She's like, you're the first person to ask me anything. (laughs) Everyone else just keeps grabbing. Their first date is likely to have been Thursday, June 16th, because this is the date on which his novel Ulysses is set. And it's known to Joyce Heads as Bloomsday. And The Guardian wrote that every year on June 16th, quote, hundreds of Dubliners dress as characters from the book and reenact scenes from the story. Wow. So, you know, if you thought Dragon Con was too nerdy, (laughs) welcome to the James Joyce Con. Bloomsday. Everybody shows up in their coolest. I've been been working on this costume all year. (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, Did you see her Molly Bloom costume? I think she got it at Party City. Straight out of Party City. I I spent six months sewing mine. I'm so sick of these out-of-the-bag costumes (laughs) from these (laughs) non-believers, these hobbyists. And there's other people that are like, it's not about that. Bloomsday is about all of us coming together to celebrate. It doesn't right. matter how good you are at sewing your costumes. Yeah, even if you just have a James Joyce t-shirt, it's fine. It's right. for you. That, by the way, is the Dragon Con way. That's right. It doesn't matter. If you have an awesome costume, great. Definitely. If you have a bullshit costume, you're still welcome here. Yeah. We're, we're all partying. We're all having a good time. Totally. Not here to judge. I don't know how it is at Bloomsday. <laughs> they might get real picky. <laughs> But like, at Dragon Con. It's like, oh, God, everybody's dressed as Finnegan again. Ugh. Uh, that, no, I'm not me. I've got an obscure character from Dubliners. <laughs> the deep cut from Dubliners. <laughs> you know, love- it's like most people don't get my costume, but the five people who do, it blows their minds. <laughs> I know, and I prefer that, honestly. <laughs> 
I like the guy who's probably definitely right now going, hmm. Well, I'm going to walk around as Deadpool as Finnegan. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. You could just not wear your glasses and go as James Joyce. I know. I just bounce off things. People will be like, who are you? And I'm like, the guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, the James Joyce Tower and Museum in Dublin has a bunch of free activities like theater performances, musical events, tours, readings of, from the book. And it's not just Dublin. They've had celebrations in the U.S., Australia, Canada, France and Italy, as well as the Czech Republic, Hungary and Latvia, just to name a few. That's pretty wild. So that's pretty cool. I would check out Bloomsday. Again, never read a word of any James Joyce. And I can't imagine... I mean, there's literally like a picture of this guy there on the rooftop of the James Joyce Tower at the museum and everybody just sitting around watching this dude read from Ulysses. I'm like, all right. I mean, I guess that might be very interesting to you. From what I know of Ulysses, which is not much, that sounds like my eyes would be crossed the whole time. Like, (laughs) It might be better. uh, Maybe so. Read out, you know, because... They kind of have to understand what they're saying uh-huh. to read it successfully. So it might actually help to have like the inflections and stuff to understand. They should what understand on. what they're saying to read it successfully. Well, they might that's be the making question. it up as they go. <laughs> it's just like some volunteers like, well, <laughs> never opened this book before, but here we go. <laughs> Why not? So James and Nora met up on this June 16th and they didn't go to the theater or a restaurant or anything like that. They just took this long romantic walk down by the harbor. Nora had to be back at Finn's for work at 11.30 p.m., so they just, you know, they just got to know each other as quickly as they could. By which, of course, I mean that she gave him a hand job on the street in the dark. <gasps> Nora! <laughs> this was, on the first day, girl! <laughs> this was crazy behavior for James especially. Like, the women in his life, his mother, his sisters, the, the Catholic nuns who taught him, they had always been very prudish and pious, And at Speculation Station, James was probably not a virgin at this point, Mm -hmm. but he certainly didn't expect a back alley tugger from a woman on the first date, you know? He's like, oh, this evening took an unexpected turn. (laughs) Right. I'm putting this in the book. (laughs) But they both fell hard for each other. Within a week, Nora had written her first letter to James, which said, with no punctuation, quote, My precious darling, a line to let you know I can't possibly meet you this evening as we are busy, but if it is convenient for you on Saturday evening, same place, with love, from N. Barnacle, excuse writing in haste. (laughs) He was like, uh, I ain't busy. (laughs) I'll make sure I ain't busy. Saturday night. (laughs) Same place. I'll be there, girl. (laughs) I will be there. They started to spend so much time together that James's friends got resentful. Tale as old as time. Oh, boys. His brother said that that summer, James was, quote, obsessed with sin. <laughs> he was obsessed with hand jobs, I mean, I'm sure. Right. Well, that's, that's uh-huh. like, I couldn't say hand jobs in front of the priest. <laughs> but she would not let him reciprocate. Oh. New York Times says that Nora and James both believed it was more sinful for him to touch her than the other way around. Come on now. Boo. <laughs> That's some bullshit. That all probably changed in October when together they left Dublin for Zurich, Switzerland. And it was there, in neutral territory, (laughs) (laughs) on October 11th, that they slept together for the first time. And within a month of them leaving Ireland, Nora was pregnant. 
Oh. So they were really getting it. I mean, that's what happens. She was like, now that you can touch me, let's do this. <laughs> yeah, all the way. <laughs> he had a job teaching English to naval officers, which he hated. So as soon as they could, they left for Trieste, Italy, where he got a job teaching at the Berlitz School. Over the next few years, they moved around a lot, from Trieste to Rome and brief stays back in Dublin. James was teaching and trying to write on the side. He was working. He was putting Dubliners together and trying to get that published. And his book, Stephen Hero. He also started to work on Ulysses, which was originally conceived as a short story. Can you imagine? As, uh, Ulysses is over 700 pages long. He's like, turns out I had a lot more to say. <laughs> In 1906, Nora was pregnant again, and James had to pick up some extra work tutoring, and now he's got less time to write. But look, quick summary. Eventually, he wrote Portrait of an Artist as a Young Man, and he wrote Ulysses, and he went back to get Dubliners published, and he became James Joyce, like a famous author. James Joyce. James Joyce. We're not here for all that. There are plenty of biographies about James Joyce's life, and they are very interesting. The research I was doing, I was like, this guy's fascinating. But we're here for the romance. We want to talk about him and Nora specifically without getting too into the weeds. And in 1909, things between the two of them were going hot, heavy, and freaky. Ow. If you thought that midnight city street hand jobs were wild... Gird your loins, people, because we're about to get into it. <laughs> James Joyce was pretty reserved in his personal language. He did not really curse. He didn't think vulgarity was interesting in casual conversation. Mm -hmm. We probably wouldn't get along <laughs> <laughs> yeah. too well. So that makes his later letters to Nora even more outrageous. Now, we don't have Nora's responses to these letters, very unfortunately, I wish, but in 1975, Richard Elman published a book called Selected Joyce Letters. And you might remember Richard Elman as the guy who wrote, like, the definitive Oscar Wilde biography that we oh, talked okay. about in our Oscar Wilde episode. All right. Now, that book is now out of print. And there are certainly some ethical questions that have been long debated around publishing these very personal and very private letters for the public to read. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk about that a bit afterwards. But as of now, you know, these are abundantly available online, and we're going to read you some selections here. These letters were from when Joyce went back to Dublin alone for the first time, and he missed Nora terribly. The two had never married, but never felt the need. There was something special between them that couldn't be defined by traditional marriage rights. So let's take a look at a few pieces of one of Joyce's letters so we can see what that bond might have been. And just be warned, this language gets absolutely filthy. But it's okay, because it's one of Western literature's great writers, so this actually counts as educational smut. <laughs> yes, yes, this is highbrow filth. This is literary. <laughs> December 3rd, 1909. Quote, My darling little convent girl, there is some star too near the earth, for I am still in fever fit of animal desire. Perhaps the coarseness of my earlier letters has disgusted you. It was you yourself, you hot little girl, who first wrote to me saying that you were longing to be fucked by me. Yet I suppose the wild filth and obscenity of my reply went beyond all bounds of modesty. As you know, I never use obscene phrases in speaking, yet you seem to turn me into a beast. 
It was you who slid your hand down inside my trousers and pulled my shirt softly aside and touched my prick with your long, tickling fingers and gradually took it all, fat and stiff as it was, into your hand and frigged me slowly until I came off through your fingers, all the time bending over me and gazing at me out of your quiet, saint-like eyes. Wow. <laughs> What a hand job. He had to really write it down. <laughs> that must have been a good one. He goes on to ask about the other boys she'd been with and asks her in great detail how far they got with her and if she liked it. He also says, quote, If you are not offended, do not be afraid to tell me the truth. Darling, darling, tonight I have such a wild lust for your body that if you were here beside me, and even if you told me with your own lips that half the red-headed louts of Galway had had a fuck at you before me, I would still rush at you with desire. In any case, I love you. I have written and said things to you that my pride would never again allow me to say to any woman. Well, that's... Okay. Yeah. All right. That's nice. I mean, yeah, that's a compliment, right? Yeah. You're, like, getting all the real... Dirty yeah. thoughts in his head. Yeah. I mean, that's an intimacy right there. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't say this to anyone else but you. That's, mm-hmm. that's special. It's like some nice dirty I mean, it depends tub. on what you're saying, but that's <laughs> no, <laughs> typically right? special. I would never tell anyone else this, but here's some horrible racist thing, I believe. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh, we're not friends anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's pretty erotic. He has some dirty talk, but it's not really outside the realm of normal dirty talk for a couple. Right, right. I mean, you know, he did get a little proby into her past sex life and stuff, but he does concede that it's her choice to tell him or not, which is nice. Sure. But when we come back, we're going to get into the next letter, which is going to turn your face red. So put the kids to bed and stay tuned. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward, inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from ATT Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. ATT Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit ATT.com slash hypergig for details. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today 
by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Welcome back to the select readings of James Joyce and Nora Barnacle's Outrageous Correspondence. And yes, seriously, that first letter has got nothing on what came next. Oh, boy. December 8th, 1909. Quote, My sweet little whorish Nora, I did as you told me, you dirty little girl, and pulled myself off twice when I read your letter. I am delighted to see that you do like being fucked arseways. I can remember the night when I fucked you for long backwards. It was the dirtiest fucking I ever gave you, my darling. My prick was stuck up in you for hours, fucking in and out under your upturned rump. I felt your fat, sweaty buttocks under my belly and saw your flushed face and mad eyes. At every fuck I gave you, your shameless tongue came bursting out through your lips, and if I gave you a bigger, stronger fuck than usual, fat, dirty farts came spluttering out of your backside. You had an arse full of farts that night, darling, and I fucked them out of you. Big fat fellows, long windy ones, quick little merry cracks, and a lot of tiny little naughty farties ending in a long gush from your hole. It is wonderful to fuck a farting woman when every fuck drives one out of her. I think I would know Nora's fart anywhere. I think I could pick hers out of a room full of farting women. I hope Nora will let off no end of her farts in my face so that I may know their smell also. <laughs> it's just... So it's just really... want to say Valentine's Day is coming up. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like to write in a letter that <laughs> I hope you let off 
Look. No end of your farts in my face so that I may know their smell. <laughs> in terms of fart fucking letters, this one is written by James Joyce. I mean, I mean you can tell this is a writer that really definitely. crafting this story because it is evocative. I feel mm-hmm. like I'm there, kind of. <laughs> like, I don't necessarily want to be, but I'm here somehow. Like, oh, can I leave? And I respect that. <laughs> I respect that. Honestly, yeah, I was going to say the same because as a as a writer, just the description of the different farts is really well done. Oh, yeah. Lo- big fat fellows, <laughs> long windy ones, quick little merry cracks, and a lot of tiny little naughty farties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Haven't we all experienced at least one, if not all of these? <laughs> I mean, you could really use those categories in the you future. Could. You'd be like, oh, that was a quick little merry crack. <laughs> Oh, that was a long, windy one. A big fat fellow. (laughs) Oh, no, my coworker just let off a big fat fellow in the elevator. (laughs) (laughs) I swear I could pick that guy out of a room full of farters. (laughs) I'd know his fart anywhere. There's an article on the Paris Review that posted the full text of these letters, and they point out that while the letters are, quote, shockingly dirty, they are also quite charming. And I think that's accurate. Yeah. I mean, there's some real love in here. Yeah. These are two people who are totally obsessed with each other in the best ways. And they've clearly stimulated each other's curiosity. They're pushing each other's limits. <laughs> They're finding new things they love about each other. Yeah. Strange things that draw them to each other. And also, like, he loves her farts. <laughs> if you find someone who loves your farts, I mean, put a ring on it. For real. <laughs> you have really found something For special. Real. <laughs> That's that's the kind of shit that ends a marriage. <laughs> He's like, Dutch oven me, baby. I dare you. Wow. Uh, here's another letter to Nora. Dated December 16th, 1909. Quote, My sweet darling girl, at last you write to me. I am so played out that you would have to lick me for a good hour before I could get a horn stiff enough to put in you. Darling, please don't fuck me too much when I go back. <laughs> Fuck all you can out of me for the first night or so, but make me get myself cured. Fuck me, darling, in as many ways as your lust will suggest. Fuck me dressed in your full outdoor costume with your hat and veil on, your face flushed with the cold and wind and rain and your boots muddy. Either straddling across my legs when I'm sitting in a chair and riding me up and down. Fuck me if you can, squatting in the closet with your clothes up, grunting like a young sow doing her dung and a big fat dirty snaking thing coming slowly out of your backside (laughs) fuck me on the stairs in the dark like a nursery maid fucking her soldier murmuring into his ear dirty words and dirty stories that other girls told her and dirty things she said and all the time pissing her drawers with pleasure (laughs) and letting off soft warm quiet little farts behind until her own girlish cocky is as stiff as his and suddenly sticking him up in her and riding him (laughs) it's so so much it's so well written smut you know what's funny is that he's like please don't fuck me too much but also fuck me in all these different ways as soon as possible (laughs) these are these are select quotations from these letters but at the beginning of this one he's talking about how he's jerked off so much to her letters that his dick barely works anymore (laughs) 
So he's like, when I come home, like, I, I'm not going to stop you from fucking me, but please give me a second to try and get back to normal because I'm jerking off too much while you're gone. Don't judge my performance <laughs> right away. I need some time. Oh, man. I mean, these letters go on. And it again, these certainly are some of the most lascivious writing from the selections that we found, but it's by no means the bulk of it. And if you want to read more, just it's not hard. Google James Joyce fart letters or whatever, and you're going to find them. It's not hard. That's what Nora said. Hey. He does end that last letter, quote, a hundred thousand kisses, darling. Oh. So again, it's this kind of beautiful look at these two little lovebirds, right? Now, let's go back to the ethical questions, because this clearly is a correspondence meant to be private between right. two people, Very right? True. And I felt that reading these along, I'm laughing, and then I think, oh, wait, they don't want me to know this. And there's an angle of this that feels a lot like leaking a sex tape or private mm -hmm. pictures in the modern age, right? Right. Once I'm reading them, I'm like, I, I shouldn't have this. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of an uncomfortableness to it. But- since they're out there and there's nothing to be done about it now. Right. Um, I did feel comfortable bringing them out of this show as a means for examining relationships in the way that we do on this show. Uh, we could sit here and laugh at how James Joyce gets turned on by farts. <laughs> and we do. <laughs> we have been. And we will. But at the heart of it, this is, again, just another layer pulled back on our desires and our sexuality and interests that we're so often burying and hiding and being ashamed of when there's really no reason to. Yeah. I don't want anyone's kinks like in my face at no, all times. No, no. You should be right? able to opt in to that right. kind of content. Absolutely. I don't want your sexcapades getting blasted out in the world. Like, mm -hmm. nobody wants you farting in each other's face on the subway. Right? <laughs> Please do not do that. <laughs> I'm sure someone has done that. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that we should be trying so desperately to keep all this stuff hidden. Right? Like, I don't want farts anywhere near my face, but that doesn't mean that James Joyce and Nora Barnacle have anything to be ashamed of. Right. Right? And yeah. I know that doesn't, that still doesn't opt them into us publicly reading all their private letters long after they're gone. Mm -hmm. um, but historically, I think there's some value to it because not only, again, are we sort of kind of stepping back and saying, this is normal. Everybody has this weirdness to them and we all pretend like we don't. Yeah. But it also shows us that we have this image of what people were like in history, especially like in the UK, everyone was so proper mm -hmm. and firm and the rules were so strict and rigid. But underneath it all, they were just like we are today. They thought farts were funny and they liked to fuck. <laughs> like that's that's I think that's really interesting to go back and look at and be reminded of that. Oh, yeah. We're always the same, mm -hmm. no matter how much how many coats of paint we put on the outside. We're always the same. So yeah. to me, you know, to, for to me, that's sort of justifies this. I really love this for the two of them. And I think that looking at these letters on this show for the purposes of like broadening our appreciation for different kinds of love and attraction, mm -hmm. which is kind of what this show has sort of become all about in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, so, totally, yeah. totally. So that's how I justify myself <laughs> reading these letters to however many dozens of you are out there listening. <laughs> right, right. I mean, 
I feel that it can be tough, I think, from a history perspective, because if I were the historian who discovered these letters, it would be very hard to contain your excitement to share something new about such a respected literary figure. Right, right. With all, I mean, honestly, as soon as you said that, I was like, I wouldn't even be thinking about the world at large. I would be thinking about other scholars like me who Mm. cared about James Joyce being equally geeked out and excited to read more of his writing, period, no matter what it was, and it's fart-fucking letters, which is like... (laughs) very exciting right and different for him again he didn't curse and stuff so like what a totally different side to see of this person sure um but i feel you it does it does a smack of leaking a sex tape or something like that because it clearly these were not meant to be shared yeah this this is like you know when you have a marriage there's certain things you can say to each other that you would never say to anyone else that's sort of what's special about it yeah and so it is It is a little bit weird. But I feel you. They're already out there. So we're podcasters and fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Let's share it. But yeah, I think there is, you do probably come across that question as an historian. Uh, okay, I found this thing, but is it okay for me to share it? Yeah. Or should I not have found it? If we're digging through people's personal lives. That's what history is. It is. Yeah. And I mean, as to your point about broadening people's perspectives Uh on attraction and love and also historical figures and what people really were like throughout the time. Like, that's what I liked about our ancient Egypt episode and finding out that there's like trash talking. Like you go back and see graffiti or like pictures of dicks in Pompeii or whatever. It's like, we, you know, humans are pretty consistent. (laughs) Like Maybe the the things around us are different, but throughout (laughs) time, (laughs) we we have always laughed at a fart. I think the first recorded joke in history is a fart joke, actually. I've heard that, yeah. And, um... And then, yeah, we love to draw a dick on things and, (laughs) you know, we love to roast each other. It's all very, very consistent. And that can be such a lovely humanizing line, I think, through history and what makes it so compelling to study, at least for me. Yeah. And and these are just the dirtiest of many, many letters that they wrote to each other throughout their relationship. They weren't all about fart fucking. (laughs) I mean, once Joyce wrote, quote, her soul, her name, her eyes. They seem to me like strange, beautiful blue wildflowers growing in some tangled, rain-drenched hedge. And I have felt her soul tremble beside mine, and have spoken her name softly to the night, and have wept to see the beauty of the world passing like a dream behind her eyes. I mean, please write me a love letter like that. (laughs) That's so beautiful. I'll be the first to say it. James Joyce is a good writer. You're the first to say that? Yeah, I'll wow. say it. I'll say it. Hot take over here. <laughs> you heard it <laughs> On here ridiculous first. romance. <laughs> so, yeah, it wasn't all farts and arses. Right. <laughs> in fact, there was a point while Joyce was in Dublin and Nora was in Trieste raising their children where he got the idea in his head that she had been unfaithful to him in the early years of their relationship. And he wrote to her and berated himself, attacked her for her betrayal, mm. and said that her cheating on him was proof that he was unworthy of her. Wow. And this started to piss Nora off. Yeah. Okay, because our girl, like we said, strong opinions, uh-huh. sharp wit. She's like, what the fuck is this? Uh-huh. She apparently wrote back and threatened to leave him. Uh-huh. Smart. <laughs> <laughs> and they managed to clarify that it was a misunderstanding. And Joyce wrote some rather florid apologies. Quote, I have lost your esteem. I have worn down your love. Let me sink back again into the mire I came from. 
Leave me. It is a degradation and a shame for you to live with a low wretch like me. If you leave me, I shall live forever with your memory, holier than God to me. I shall pray to your name. I will not sign my name, because it is the name you called me when you loved me and honored me and gave me your young tender soul to wound and betray. So, yeah, he's a bit dramatic. A little bit dramatic. A little much. And I could see Nora getting kind of irritated with this. Like, all right, just say you're sorry. Okay, what is this toxic bullshit? Let me just stand before you and punch myself in the face to forgive me, please. I know, right? All right. I mean, at least he stopped short of saying, if you leave me, I'll kill myself. Right, Something crazy like that, which is a great way to trap a woman into a relationship. Yes, yes. Horrible, abusive thing to do. Not cool. But it kind of... It kind of has that scent to it. It does. You know? yeah. I, I definitely was getting that scent yeah. to it. I was like, this is a toxic letter. I hope Nora was like, I, right. I'm about to spank your arse until you <laughs> <laughs> shut up. Yes. They did get through this, worked it out, and got back to normal. Mm-hmm. You know, Good. That's yeah. a good thing. Years later, now James Joyce, famous author, right. the James Joyce, uh-huh. they're living comfortably in London. Although Joyce's eyesight had deteriorated considerably, he now frequently wore an eye patch over his left eye, and he wrote on large sheets of white paper with a red crayon. Mm. So if anyone says you need a fancy computer <laughs> right. to be a writer, mm-mm. <laughs> yeah. Ulysses had been a hit, although not everyone loved it, including Nora, who loved his writing, but said of Ulysses, quote, why don't you write sensible books that people can understand? <laughs> I feel like a thousand English professors are like, thank you. (laughs) Virginia Woolf, a contemporary of his, compared his writing to, quote, a queasy undergraduate scratching his pimples. One hopes he'll grow out of it. But as Joyce is 40, this scarcely seems likely. (laughs) Oh, burn from Virginia Woolf. (laughs) Scathing burn. Ouch. And H.G. Wells wrote about Joyce's novel Finnegan's Wake, quote, Who the hell is this Joyce who demands so many waking hours of the few thousand I have left to live for a proper appreciation of his quirks and fancies and flashes of rendering? (laughs) I've only got a little while left to live and you're wasting it. I love it. He's like, YOLO, James Joyce. I don't have time for this damn book. Which, amen, I think that's kind of what I said when I, when I cracked it open at like a Walden Books one day in high school. And I was like, you know what? Never mind. I've, I'm, I'm 16. I've only got 70 something years left. I'm good. And I know people love these books. I oh, know yeah. people who really appreciate them. I read some blogs because Finnegan's Wake, widely regarded as the most difficult novel to read in the English language. Yep. Ulysses is often cited as number two. Um, Way to write two of the most difficult know, books to read. <laughs> right. Um, because they are very long, drawn out. Like I said, a whole chapter of Ulysses is said to be just one sentence long. Mm-hmm. Um, he uses lots of different languages that he mashes together. He'll, he goes on these tangents and just takes pages and pages and pages before he gets back to his original point. Anyway, I think the point I was making in true James Joyce style before I went on this tangent <laughs> Whatever, that one. is that some people love his books. I've oh, read yeah. that once he get into it and can kind of piece it all together. They're very funny. Mm-hmm. They're very interesting. They're not as like erudite and academic as some would have you believe um, that they're actually pretty light once you kind of get underneath the text. Um, so I don't know. Might, go for it. Let me know if you've read it. 
Yeah. To give us I your mean, stories. I'd love to give them a whirl sometime. Yeah. I mean, maybe they're, maybe you need a companion, like a reader to kind of. Yeah help you out <laughs> you know those side-by-side Shakespeare's <laughs> where it's like here's the original text yeah. and then how they would say it today <laughs> it's like let me yeet this guy out the door or whatever <laughs> I need that for, oh, <laughs> for man. Uh, well among his biggest supporters and friends uh, a man who really did like Ulysses was Ernest Hemingway hey there you go the two of them were also drinking buddies oh. which I can't imagine being at that table I think our livers would explode well, before they even one, got a little tipsy. Don't you they, think? I don't think they would have let us had any. <laughs> they <laughs> wouldn't have been as soon as a drink got poured on the table, it's gone. It's gone. Wow, these what? writers are fast. <laughs> At night, they would go out and they'd piss people off and get into fights. And Nora actually kind of encouraged this because she agreed with James when he sort of complained about himself and said, oh, oh, I'm getting too suburban. Mm. I've, I've been too sheltered for too long. I need to get out and see the world. <laughs> so and she was like, Nora's like, why don't you write a sensible book that people can understand? You know, get out there, get in a fight or something. Yeah, Jeez. Go, go get punched in the face and then try and write something. <laughs> I've got the kids tonight. Why don't you go out drinking with Hemingway and get into a few fist fights? Uh-huh. <laughs> so they would go out, they'd get drunk, and James would end up picking a fight with somebody. <laughs> And Hemingway said, quote, he couldn't even see the man, so he'd say, deal with him, Hemingway, deal with him. <laughs> I love picturing him, like, behind Hemingway, like, yeah. his head up, say it to my face! <laughs> Hemingway's a big dude. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, so say it to his face, I right. guess. Right, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, back in the day, mm-hmm. authors were these, like, fist-fighting drunks, you know, which Weird. is not a time I'm looking forward to getting back to. But it is interesting how different we looked at it and how we teach literature today is this very delicate art form. Mm-hmm. And there's so much refinery to it. And if you read Ulysses, you're an erudite scholar. When it's like, no, maybe you're just a drunk who likes to get into fist fights. Then you might like this book, too. I know, right? Maybe if you read Ulysses drunk, it would make perfect sense. <laughs> try that. <laughs> Has anyone tried that yet? We'll do an experiment. That'll be our next podcast. We'll drink a bunch we'll of whiskey. We'll get really drunk and read Ulysses to each other. <laughs> and we'll be like, I don't know what everyone's complaining about. This makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> in 1931, James and Nora had been together for 27 years. They had two children and were living well, but they had never been married. And they had actually been lying all these years once Joyce got famous and had told the press that they were married in Australia back in 1904, the year they met. But they realized that for the sake of their children's easy inheritance, they would have to do it legally and officially. So, I mean, the last thing they wanted was a big public wedding, obviously, because they were supposed to already be married. Uh So he wrote to his brother George and his American wife, quote, The marriage has been arranged for Saturday, July 4th, my father's birthday, and that of my brother George, to say nothing of American independence, at the hours of 11.15 a.m. Greenwich time. To throw people off the scent, the bride will wear her lifeguard uniform, while the groom will be in green satin with a white veil and an orange umbrella, the colors of the Irish flag. <laughs> Which, I don't know why I immediately thought of like a Baywatch bathing suit. Right, I know. <laughs> As a lifeguard uniform. I mean, there's no pictures, sadly, and I couldn't even find <laughs> if this ended up being true. Or if he's kidding, but the but image But his is... outfit next to a Baywatch... <laughs> 
bathing suit lady I'm picturing is hilarious. His, his, uh, his green satin suit is looking like one of the Dumb and Dumber tuxedos. <gasps> the real frilly chest it. piece and everything. Yeah. Totally. Okay, this is what we're wearing to Bloomsday. <laughs> yes. I'm going to find a lifeguard uniform. Yes. You're going to wear an orange umbrella. <laughs> but you got to have a little fart cloud coming out the back. I know. I'll have a little, like... um. What what's that emoji? It looks like a little yeah, a little wind. Puff of wind. Oof, yeah. I'll have that coming out. Yes, perfect. <laughs> and then I'll have a little like I'll just play quick merry cracks or yeah. big fat fellows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll have a little device. Each little button sound, can do yeah. one of those four categories. <laughs> like which one? Now, IrishCentral.com writes that they tried to keep the news of their civil ceremony as quiet as possible, and they waited until just two days before their marriage to apply for the license. Mm. Joyce also left the profession field on the license form blank, so that just anything to stop people from discovering that they were getting married. But it wasn't long before a reporter uncovered his name when they were sorting through the advance notices of the registry office. I guess that's what you did for news back in the day. Who's getting married? I guess so. Yeah, I find secret marriages like uh-huh. this one. Yeah, this guy this guy probably searched the wedding registries every day <laughs> for years. Never found anything and people were like, "Stop doing that. There's no story in there." He's like, "One day, one day I'm going to win that Nobel Prize for <laughs> marriage reporting." Yeah, he's basically like an ambulance chaser of, <laughs> of reporters. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> wedding chaser. So of course, he finds this and the news gets out that James Joyce and Nora Barnacle are getting married, which was strange to everyone. Mm-hmm. And soon they're hounded by reporters. Why are you getting married? Thought you were already married. What's oh, with the marriage, on. James? They tried to tell the press that there was an issue with their Australian wedding. Oh, you know, Nora tried to use a fake last name back then mm-hmm. because of all her family issues. So turns out our wedding was invalid. Um, but the reporters didn't buy it. They were like, no, you haven't been married. Something's going on here. Mm. We're going to get to the bottom of it. So a reporter showed up to his house the day of the wedding. And while Joyce at first kicked him out, he came back with an offer from his editor. James wrote, quote, They offered me half the middle page if I would write an article on modern marriage and free love. And if I did, I would be well paid. And if I did not, the paper would hold itself free to deal with my double marriage as it pleased. But he was unfazed and said, quote, I told him to inform his editor that I did not write for the press, nor did I read it, but that my lawyer would read with the proper attention anything they might publish. The Express came out the next day without a word. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't read your paper, but my lawyer sure does, uh-huh. and very carefully. So write whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am they were like, ah, fuck, fine, never mind. We won't write shit. (laughs) So the two of them were married quietly and they lived happily together. They did have some quarrels over the years about James's drinking. Mm. And she did threaten to leave him a few times. But they always got back together. They treated each other well. And Speculation Station, she spent many years farting in his face. And he was able to walk into a room near blind and sniff her out of a crowd of ladies farting, as was his dream. Listen, you know, when you're missing one of your senses, you have to rely That's true. on the other ones That's a little true. more. Yeah. I love this room of ladies farting, too. <laughs> I know, right? It's just like, oh, we just like to get together every week and fart together. <laughs> well, We've been holding it in for women. so long. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a G4 summit <laughs> of all these European countries. But Nora goes and she's like, oh, I'm fresh out of farts. <laughs> James wanted a quickie this morning. <laughs> 
the other ladies are like, I haven't farted for 23 years. So I have a lot of <laughs> tiny little naughty farties <laughs> to share. Now, Nora served as the model for several characters of James's works. And according to the James Joyce Center, quote, her idiomatic expressions pervade the speech and thoughts of some of Joyce's most important characters. Cool. So a really strong relationship between them. Really right. important people to each other. Well, and she had such a cool, like, interesting character herself yeah. that yeah. I'm sure he was like, I need to, like, Absolutely. use some of this. Yeah. In 1941, James underwent surgery in Zurich for a perforated intestinal ulcer and went into a coma. He awoke briefly after this and asked a nurse to call his wife and son to come see him. Mm. They were on their way when he died just short of his 59th birthday. That's sad. His last words are said to have befitted his notoriously difficult writings. Quote, does nobody understand? Mm. That's tough. I hate to think that he felt like nobody understood his works. But I think just like today, it's just a lot of people just didn't care for it. And yeah. a lot of people really thought it was important. And that's that could be the sign of a great artist, too. I do think those are sad last words, though. Yeah. Does nobody understand? Yeah. And he, you know, maybe he was talking about. The oh, Swiss doctors, means. you know, he's like, no, my, my left arm hurts. You're working on my right. You know, yeah. does nobody understand? I don't know. That's true. Um, or he was like, I mean, you know, they say close to death, you can be totally in another place in your yeah. brain. So yeah. he might be talking about something completely unrelated right. to anything. Right. The Irish government refused to bring his remains back to Ireland. Yeah. And it's not really clear exactly why I couldn't find a lot of information on this, probably because he was so outspoken throughout his life about Irish political issues. Yeah. And maybe they were just like, no, we're not going to waste the time on him. So, yeah, James Joyce was buried in Zurich, Switzerland, since he's still controversial in Ireland. And Nora decided to remain there. She worked actively in decisions about his estate. She suffered from arthritis. And by 1950, she had a difficult time walking. And she died of kidney failure in 1951 and was buried in the same cemetery as James, although not nearby him, unfortunately. But in 1966, her remains were moved and they were placed together in a single plot. Yeah, well, so that was he, nice. They got them together at some that's point. That's nice, yeah. yeah. For their sake, they should have buried those letters in there with them. Okay, <laughs> you know for what I'm real. Saying? But here we are, I mean, this giggling is a, about it. This is a great reason why so many people were like, please burn all my papers after yeah. I die. No, it's true. I mean, it was like the historical equivalent of please delete my search history before right. my mom gets to right. my computer. <laughs> but it is a, a special story. And again, a, a, a unique couple, a, 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 a private look into someone's life that shows us that we're all freaks, <laughs> you know, we're not even if we're not sexual deviants, we all have something that we love that we feel like we shouldn't. And that's weird to me. Yeah. Totally. You know, if you're enjoying something, if it's improving or enhancing your life experience in any way and it's not right. harming anyone else's, then... We shouldn't yeah, be so I think, ashamed. I think if there's consent there, yeah, there's really no wrong way to have sex. Right, right. Oh, well, and and beyond sex, I think too is, was also the yeah, broader point. Yeah, it doesn't even true. just have to be about sex, but there's there's lots of stuff that we're embarrassed by or we feel like shouldn't be true about us. Mm -hmm. But in fact, that's just that's just the made up bullshit rules we all decided to live under for some reason. That's true. Uh, when at the end of the day, we should all be picking berries off of bushes and trying not to get eaten by bears like but for some reason we made nintendos and now we like sit around in our underwear 
getting high all day. Like, what where, What happened in between those two things is a, a lot. lot of shame. A lot of shame. <laughs> a lot of shame. A lot of shame. It's true. It's so true. Right. And how much more difficult is that shame when you were raised in an Irish Catholic private school? Very true. And that that's something about Nora that I think is really interesting is like growing up in a, such a restrictive and repressive place, especially about sexuality, you're being outspoken, yeah. being cute, even just being cute. Right. It's not even about like I'm being promiscuous. I'm just right. like looking cute and people notice me and all of a sudden it's my fault that I look cute. Right. That's not how I was born. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And also someone else's attention is not my problem. Like yeah. I didn't. Anyway, we don't have to do all that. <laughs> but I just really like that she, I mean, it just shows you how that doesn't really work in the long run. Yeah. You know, you had her sister Kathleen and her both fully rebelling right. against all that. Right. Even though they were like being beaten with sticks and, yeah. <laughs> I mean, probably threatened with a convent once right. or twice. It didn't matter. You know, it's it's more being being true to yourself right. is more important. Well, and it, it's a uh, generalization, but it does seem like you've got two end results there with this kind of strict upbringing. Either you rebel mm -hmm. and become the total opposite of that, or you become the same and you are a miserable, angry, repressed person who takes it out on your children or your students or whatever, and you just perpetuate that cycle of what's effectively violence. Yeah, that's very true. Um, and so it's like, hey, maybe this isn't working. Because right. it's either creating more monsters like me or it's doing the exact opposite and creating the complete opposite of what I'm trying to do. So maybe a different approach, maybe positive maybe. reinforcement, maybe just teach people about the world and how to live in it and teach them to be good people and they'll make their own decisions. I don't know. Well, I'm, not a, I'm not a Catholic nun from the 1800s. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, maybe men should take responsibility for their own well, freaking attractions. I don't and know instincts. if we need to start claiming that. Oh, I no. Mean... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> responsibility is a complicated thing, and I don't want it, so I'm not going to take it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not about. I'm just thinking about her on that pre slap. I know, and him, right? Like reaching up her skirt, and she's like, hey, what are you doing? And he's like, look what you made me do. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. How did I make you do any of that? I d She's like, I wish I could fart in this priest's face Oof. right now. One day someone will really appreciate that about me. <laughs> <laughs> I wish she had farted in his face too. A nice fat fellow. <laughs> right for him. <laughs> a couple of quick cracks. <laughs> Here's a merry little crack for ya. <laughs> Oh, I really hope you all enjoyed that. It's a little different than uh, our usual stories. And again, we could we could go into the biographies of these people all day long, and there's mm -hmm. a lot of little details that are all very interesting. Um, but just looking at this kind of really zeroing in on this element of their relationship, yeah, and uh, and getting a broad picture of what they were like together, I think uh, I think it's a really fascinating story. Absolutely. Um, so I hope you all enjoyed it as well. Hope you had a good laugh. <laughs> hope you didn't feel too weird peering through the curtain from these people's <laughs> freaky sex life. <laughs> You're like, what's that smell? <laughs> well, I'd know that smell anywhere. That's Nora Barnacle. <laughs> there she is. <laughs> oh, please, oh, yeah. uh, shoot us an email. Send us an audio file of your big fat fellows. Oh, okay. And we'll play them on the air. <laughs> <laughs> we'll play them on the air. <laughs> Some Nora Barnacle appreciation posts. Yes. 
Also, if you've been to Bloomsday, especially oh, yes. if you've dressed up, please, please. send us some pictures because I would love to see that. Oh, that'd be awesome. That would be dope. But uh, yeah, and if you're in Dublin, let us know. We're coming to you at some point. One day <laughs> we'll have to come to it's Dublin. It's on the list. It's yeah. on our bucket list for sure. Uh, but yeah, reach out to us. Shoot us an email, romance at iheartmedia.com. Yeah, or slide into the DMs on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Dynamite Boom. And I'm at, oh great, it's Eli. The show is at Predict Romance. We cannot wait to hear from you. and We can't wait to bring you another exciting episode later this week. Yep. Thanks, as always, for spending your time with us. Yeah. You know, like Waffle House says, we know you have a choice and you chose us. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right. So we will see all you fellows next time. <laughs> Bye. So long, friends. It's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. <laughs> Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.